You may take a person who is making 80% of market. Well, we're not going to pay them 85%. We're going to pay them 100% of market. And when you do that, you also engender a level of commitment from those people that is priceless. And they'll you know, run through walls for you and they'll deliver great things. And they're capable of it anyway. It's just a matter of you giving them an opportunity. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. Today, I'm joined by Mark Rawls. Mark is the president and COO of Invicti, and he's going to be sharing with us some things about how he's built culture in multiple organizations over a long period of time. Mark, first, let me just say welcome to the podcast, and then we'll kick it off. Yeah, thanks so much, Jordan. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So you know the heart of our podcast is to talk about Bragworthy cultures. You've been able to build a few of those over the course of time. And so traditionally, sometimes we focus on a particular organization and Victi is who you're with now. Today, I like a take, if it's okay with you, the tact of how it's gone for you building multiple culture, multiple organizations over the course of your career, and maybe even talk about how that's changed and how there's been different challenges over the course of time. Obviously, COVID is an obvious one to point to. So if it's okay, we'll start there. But first, I'd love just to hear a little bit about your background that led you today, some of the organizations you've been a part of, and just how you got into the industry to begin with. Yeah, that's great. Great place to start. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, so I actually pursued my MBA way back in the day, actually, in a, a shocking reminder, I got my 15-year reunion invitation the other day, and it's COVID delayed, so it's actually a 16-year reunion, so that, that <laughs> okay. dates me a little bit. Yeah, so after getting my MBA, I went into consulting, and I was with Boston Consulting Group for a little over four years, and that's obviously a very an institution with a very strong culture, and you know, within that, you're very project-based, and so your team is changing and reforming over time, and so that was a place that I got a lot of training on how to manage and how to bring teams together. But ultimately, you're not really building a lasting culture because you know you right. may only be with a team three to six months or, or whatever it is. I left consulting. I had a, a one-year-old son. I wanted to be home with him. And actually, I got tired of leaving on Sunday night and he was one size and I get back on Thursday and he's grown two inches, changed completely, knows new words. And so left consulting and went to work for actually for SolarWinds which is an IT management software company here in Austin, Texas, uh, mm. where I, I still live. I was at SolarWinds for a little over four years, and they're really built first within the marketing team, and then we actually formed an analytics team mm. um, under the office of the CFO and built some real distinct cultures within a broader organization, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. SolarWinds itself had a really very particular, very strong culture that wasn't exactly aligned with what I thought we needed within the analytics org. Um, which is a little bit more 
thoughtful and a little bit uh, more measured work in projects that take a little bit longer. Right. Solar Winds was very much a go, 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 you know, hit the quarterly number, public company environment. Mm. That was an experience we can dive into. Yeah. Left Solar Winds and actually took a gap year. My wife and I traveled with our then second grader around the, we hit 31 countries over the course of about six months. Wow. And then when I came back, I went to work for a Vista Equity Partners company. So within private equity, and then did that only for about nine months before I was pulled into the private equity firm itself. Okay. And so I did about two and a half years in the mothership within private equity, which is yet again, very interesting culture. And again, created, you know, kind of a subculture within my organization and left that about two and a half years ago and landed here at Invicti Security, where we've had just a, Hmm. a phenomenal run and really have gone from when I started about 160 employees Today, we're coming up on about 450. Oh, wow. Yeah, we operate in multiple countries, the US, Malta, Turkey, the UK, Czech Republic, and expanding all the time. And obviously went through COVID as part of Invicti and and helping lead Invicti through that. So a lot of different kind of flavors over the course Mm. of my career. But again, this kind of persistent focus on how do you build a great culture? How do you enable people to do great work? And so I really appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm really looking forward to hearing deeper into each of these sort of snippets, these vignettes of your life. You know, some of the things we talked about ahead of the recording were a few facets that you brought up around building culture, one of which was kind of getting employees excited and motivated about a mission. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear about that in all the various contexts in which the mission has been very different. The style of work has been very different. Private equity is its kind of own monster, right? So that it's an interesting place to think about culture and so forth as well. So I'd love to get into some of that. So wherever you'd like to start, but you know, in the realm of getting folks focused around a mission and whichever kind of vignette you'd like to take us down. Oh, for sure. So I think just to, to step back and frame for a little bit. Sure. I read someone smarter, way smarter than me, wrote something that I read ages ago, and I don't remember who it is, but they wrote that basically satisfaction in your career comes from three spots. Autonomy, so the degree to which you control how you spend your time. Hmm. Competence, so how good are you at doing something of value? I think that of value matters a lot. Right. And then related them. So, you know, how connected are you to a team or an org? And I think the middle of those, you know, competence is really what, you know, what I try to focus around first and foremost, when you think about a mission, right? So Mm. I think everyone wants to go home at the end of the day, feeling like they did something of value and that they contributed in a positive way, you know, to what, whatever the environment is. Absolutely. Yeah. Here at Invicti, we are a web application security testing, you know, software platform provider in that we help companies like probably your local bank or other financial institutions you know, other companies, we help them secure their applications from, you know, malicious attack, right? right? So we're making your data safer, my data safer, my parents' data safer, on and on. That's a really tangible, obvious mission. Yeah. And so that's really fun when you're recruiting and you're hiring <laughs> people, right? It's, it's actually in our employee onboarding deck. One of the first slides is that we help the good guys in their fight against the bad guys. And like, what could be more honorable and noble than that? And I right. think that's, when you're in that opportunity, that's awesome. I mean, and you should take full advantage of that. And believe me, we do. <laughs> because, yeah, because it's easy for employees to see how what they do is about because we're helping secure all these applications. When you work for private equity, it's a little bit of a different situation, right? And that you really have to, you know, I think was able to build a really strong team culture. I, I actually joined and 
and took over a team of about 15. By the time I left, it was over 40 folks and we were running projects all over the Vista portfolio, which is a, a very broad portfolio right. of all software and technology companies. And you know, the team had a hard job and that a lot of travel, long hours. And really when we did our jobs well, ideally no one notices. Hmm. And because we were doing a lot of process redesign, process overhaul, helping companies build to be much more scalable into the future. But if we screwed something up, it meant maybe the company can't collect cash. And hmm. I tell you, Folks in private equity get real upset real fast when a company can't collect cash. <laughs> and so you've got this kind of you know, very kind of unbalanced risk reward framework where you do your job great, no one notices. Right. And that's success at the end of the day. You do it poorly and folks are going to notice in a hurry. Right. And I think when you think about building culture in that, in that environment, you've got to really focus people back to you know, the fact that what they're doing is so fundamentally important mm. to how a company operates and that we are going into these companies, which are staffed by real people, right? right? Like you or me or our neighbors or whoever it is. Right. And, you know, we're helping take pain out of the way they do their job. Uh, we're helping them get more efficient and more effective. And you've got to focus on the value where that value is. Mm. And then the other thing that we try to focus a lot on, I think there is goes back to that third idea around relatedness, right. which is how connected are you to the team? Right. And so an analogy that I would use a lot in recruiting was like, look, we're kind of like an offensive lineman in American football. If we do our job right, the receiver or the quarterback or the running back is going to get the glory. Right. But among our team that we did a job well done, yeah. right? And we can yeah. give each other credit and, and kind of exist within that. We can give kudos within our, in, you know, team right. that that hey, I saw what you did and what you did was yeah. really good. And even if all the glory is going to the wide receiver, that's okay. Right. I see what you provided here. Yeah. Um, and so I think you've got to kind of shift with the environment you're in and you're not always going to have, right. hey, look, we make the world a lot safer yeah. as you know, the, the North Star that you're aiming for. Yeah. I'm curious, did that play into your recruiting in such a way that you were looking for certain personality types or certain traits or maybe folks that were more intrinsically motivated because the extrinsic attaboys and thank you notes were you knew they weren't going to come or was it more about replacing those extrinsic things with your own kind of recognition and making sure that internally you did a great job praising folks for or maybe it was both curious how you approached that yeah that's an outstanding question and i'll tell you it i absolutely focused on that in recruiting and in fact yeah. really used it almost as a filter I used to joke, you know, my job within the recruiting, other folks on my team would interview for technical skills, ability to do the job, ability to right. work well with the rest of the team. Yeah. I almost viewed it as my job to almost try to scare people away uh -huh. because the reality is, is that if, and especially the work that that team did, like if you love that kind of work, right, going out to a new company on a regular basis, understanding how they work and how they operate and then helping them drive change, like if that intrinsically motivates you, right? To your point, right. man, there was no better job. Like yeah. what, a, what a fun way. And you saw all different companies of all different sizes. And I tell you, you know, the perks and the pay in private equity are, are not bad. Yeah. And so, you know, that was really exciting to folks, but we also, you know, I wanted to warn away anyone who thought, you know, this was going to be an easy job. Right. And, you know, we would hire from the industry and, you know, big firms like Deloitte, or others, West Monroe, you know, I could kind of go on, sure. Accenture. And we had to let make sure those people understood mm. 
like we're actually, I used to use the analogy that we're like smoke jumpers. You're going to go jumping out of the plane and only once you get below the cloud cover, are you actually going to see what the fire looks like and what you need to do. Hmm. And if that's exciting to you, man, there's no better job. Hmm. If that scares you, you should probably go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be the place. And so I think, and, and again, and so it is about finding that, those people that were really excited by it and motivated mm -hmm. by it, but people still need that appreciation. They still need to know the work mm -hmm. they do matters. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can't, you can't forget about, to your point, the extrinsic side right. and the recognition, but the recognition doesn't always need to come from the head of Vista or whoever it is. Right. The fact right. that recognition can come from each other, mm -hmm. I think in almost all cases, was, yeah. but they had to have that intrinsic motivation too. Yeah, and I find that to to hold up in many of the interviews I do, my own organization, et cetera. It's you need to be seen and feel heard by leadership, but the praise and the feedback from a peer level is almost more meaningful because your peers actually know what you've accomplished and actually know what you've done and the struggle that you've gone through to achieve it. Whereas a leader probably doesn't as much as they're gonna try to understand and empathize. They're not gonna know the fullness right, of what went into achieving what was achieved. So that makes perfect sense. I was thinking about an interview I did recently, and you touched on this really well, where you're kind of talking about scaring people away. And I did an interview recently with a CPO, I think was his title. And he said that instead of trying to build our employer brand by selling people on who we are, we just reveal to candidates who and what we are. And that is the best way to filter who actually belongs in your organization. Like be completely transparent, show them the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then you'll get the right people in the door and they'll actually one, enjoy the job, two, stick around, right? And three, add to the culture that you've built. And I heard that all through what you were just saying around is you just revealed you're a smoke jumper. This is what the job is, right? Like, and kind of take it or leave it. And that probably would make a recruiter a little nervous. So, you know, just like, we probably could have gotten that one if you had shut up and not said that. Yeah. We had an expression on the team, which was essentially the highest praise we could give a candidate, which was so-and-so is our kind of crazy. And that was, that was kind of code for, you know, this is someone who fits in. And, and, you know, kind of don't get me wrong. I think we have to be cautious, especially in this, that you can build a great team mm -hmm. that's very high output, that's filled with workaholics mm. and give them an environment in which they can fully indulge their workaholism. Mm. That's not, and so you've got to have some kind of cautions around that because ultimately sooner or later you will burn those people out right. without question, no matter how good they are, yeah. sooner or later, if you give them all the rope they need and to fulfill all of their workaholic desires, <laughs> yeah. you know, they'll burn themselves they will sooner or later hit a wall. Mm. And so you really have to be conscious about protecting them from themselves yeah. and, and also in creating mutual accountability. And again, that's something that I try to do on teams. It's yeah. something that you know, we've done here at Invicti. Again, a very small, very fast growing business. Right. You can certainly you know, work a lot of hours and you've got to hold each other accountable. Mm. Like, look, that can get done tomorrow. That right. can get done next week. Yeah. We don't have to try to get everything done now. And so, because I think someone could come away and with a cynical view, which is, Oh yeah, you've created this smoke jumping mythos. You're all, <laughs> right. you know, you're all linemen, you're a band of brothers. Yeah. You know, go, 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 go. That's yeah. that's all code for just, hey, you know, work hundred hours a week. And yeah. And that's not the goal. Because if yeah. you've done that, you've failed. Well, I think yeah, I mean, that would be the cynical way. I think the more optimistic view would be what you're calling for there is courage 
not working yourself into the ground. You're saying, hey, you might have to jump out of a plane metaphorically. Hey, you might not know what the problems are until you see the smoke rising at you, right? But it also takes courage to rest. It also takes courage to put work down. It's a beautiful segue because one of the other things that you mentioned prior to the recording is navigating uncertainty and then COVID being a prime example of that. And what COVID did is allow people to work out their workaholism to the extreme, right? Because right. there are no lunch breaks and no kind of coffee pot conversations. It was just meeting, 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 meeting for a while there until we all kind of began to learn how to be more healthy. We're still learning. So let's jump to that aspect, this communicating and navigating uncertainty. And then COVID could be an example, but anything you want to share in that pillar, you, we might say, of building a strong culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something that we we did really, really well at Invicti. And mm -hmm. I give a lot of credit, our founder and, and then CEO, Farooq Mabatuna. You know, Farooq and I had a lot of conversations about how do we handle this. Farooq had been a remote first kind of proponent uh -huh. since well before that was cool. And in fact, Invicti itself, you know, we haven't too much on Invicti, but it's the merger of two you know, longstanding application security companies, one called NetSparker, which Farooq founded and another called Acunetics, and Nesparker mm. was remote from its inception. And so he had always lived in a remote environment and was very well-armed, I think, to, to deal with our employees shifting remote. Right. Our approach as we went into COVID and, you know, as during that fateful week when the basketball, the NBA season was canceled, mm. you know, we had a lot of calls and a lot of discussions. And at the end of the day, what we hit on was, look, if we take care of our employees, if we take care of our employees' loved ones, and if we enable and propose to our employees that we take care of our communities, mm. if we do those three things really, really well, then you know what? Our business will take care of itself. Yep. The business will be what it is, but frankly, we can't control if all of our potential customers stopped buying because of COVID uncertainty, we couldn't control that. Mm. You know What we could control though were those three things. How did we handle, again, our, our employees, their loved ones, and our communities? Right. And I think, and we meant it, honestly and earnestly, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't know what the future held, you know, any more than anyone else. Right. But I think by laying out so clearly and communicating so consistently that those were our priorities and that's what we cared about. Right. And we showed that in our communications, but we also showed it in our actions mm. and the way that we handle people, you know, when people got diagnosed with COVID, you know, sending them care packages, offering to arrange food delivery, making sure that we pulled all their work activities off of them and distributed those among the rest of the team. Right. Like it wasn't words, it was also actions. But I think that it was, you know, that, that's kind of what our employees needed to hear. And I think anytime you're going through that uncertainty or that much change, right. you know, being very, very clear, and very consistent with your values. Hmm. We didn't try to build a really strong, you know, I mentioned it was two companies that came together. Yeah. One of actually the upsides for us of COVID, which I, I hate to say it that way, one of the upsides was that we actually built a really, really strong Invicti culture mm. because of what COVID forced us to do around communication. Right. Um, and so I think there's various lessons you can learn from that. But one is just you communicate when you think you've said enough, say some more yeah. and again, and then at the same time, be act true to your values and not just what you say, but you, mm. you got to see it through your actions as well. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that advice. It's really sinking in, that over-communication thing from a leadership standpoint. And, you know, I'm a few years in personally to being in a C-suite role in a company. And so I'm very much still learning that. But I'm oftentimes shocked 
when people will say, well, I didn't know that, or I didn't realize, and I'm like, I've said that 10 times, you know, (laughs) it's just, I got to do more and say it in a different way and so forth. (laughs) You know, I think say it in a different way and also say it in a different place. So we would communicate in Slack and then we do it in email and then we do it in all hands, Right. you know, anywhere we try to meet employees to deliver that message, you know, we tried to do that because you really do, and especially in that environment of shifting to remote, while right. we had certain employees that had always been remote, we had you know probably half the company that were shifting remote for the first time. Yeah, and again, we just had to be so crystal clear and just keep saying it. And to your point, it was amazing the questions that would come up. We'd be a month in, and someone would be like, "Oh, so you're going to close the office?" Yeah, and you know, meaning like shut down, like give up the real estate. Not right. that I mean, the offices were. Because everybody's off. Sure, closed, sure. But like, yeah, but like, oh, the location's going away. It's like, no, no, no. Where did you get that? Like, well, I just thought that maybe this was the plan. Right. Here's the plan. And it's in a vacuum. If you don't communicate enough, mm-hmm. which, by the way, as far as I can tell, there's never enough. Right. Um, but if you don't communicate enough, then people are going to invent their own stories. Yeah. And yeah. no matter how outlandish, you know, imagine the most outlandish thing you can possibly imagine and then take it three steps further. And right. that's probably what at least one employee thinking. <laughs> Someone's assuming that you know, three steps away from absurd. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. That's great advice. And I think the other thing that I really appreciated about, and not about COVID, of course, but about the time we spent managing that challenge, that global pandemic, that sort of um, foxhole that we were all in together, if you will. What I appreciated that was you found out who really meant their values and who didn't, right? Like who was just putting like just just putting a poster on the wall where people centric or what like who actually meant it and who didn't became crystal clear across those two years and then you saw a mass exodus from many organizations and you saw a lot of other organizations that were like yeah like we lost about as many people as we normally do or less right and i think in my estimation would be almost all of that is about whether or not you took care of your people, whether or not you saw them as the whole person and you actually fulfilled the values that that you sort of preached when they signed up. Like, did you actually mean it? Because that's how life works. You don't, you find out who your friends are, right? So so to quote the old country song, when the chips are down, when things are difficult. And so it's, you know, not that I'd ever wish for another global pandemic, certainly, but it is kind of a beautiful thing to see when things get hard the depth and the meaning and the bonding that can take place in certain organizations is really cool. Yeah. You know, you, and you brought up a really good point there, which is, you know, there's been all this talk of a great resignation and I've really bristled on that. And what I've said, and I actually wrote an article on this for an online publication that I actually prefer to call it the great reckoning. I think a lot of what we saw was, was folks that during COVID didn't feel like they had the opportunity or did the risk reward calculation and it just, it wasn't worth it to go somewhere else and and all that uncertainty. And so you have a lot of pent up demand of people who realized, Mm. you know, kind of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I think you had a lot of people who said, you know, our organization didn't live up to our values. That's not the whole story. Don't get me wrong. Sure, We've seen incredible wage pressure, really tight labor market. There's been great new opportunities unlocked for people and people have pursued that. And and I think that's wonderful. Right. But I do think there's a lot of it, which really is a reckoning Mm. that if you didn't take care of your people... If you didn't live your values, then, then I think you paid the price Yeah. once when folks were comfortable making the leap. Yeah. Reckoning. I like that. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> well, we've got a few more minutes we can chat before uh, kind of going over my guidelines on the podcast length here. But one other thing I'd want to discuss, 
hiring and building diverse teams. So diversity, of course, means a lot of things. Race, ethnicity, ethnicity. I can't say the word right now. Ethnicity, there it is. Gender, sexual preference, the way people think and make decisions. I mean, there's a lot to say there. Talk about that for a minute in terms of building that. You've got a remote environment. You've got even less opportunity potentially for people that think differently and act differently to connect and to work through some of the ways that they're not similar, right? So it's all the more important to express empathy and understanding and to listen first and speak second, right? So I'd just love to hear more about how you're doing that today and if that's changed over the course of time. Yeah, this is an area that I feel really strongly about. And, yeah. and part of the reason I feel really strongly about it is you know, we did a lot of work or Vista did a lot of work and to really understand the benefits and the value of diversity. Right. And aside from the fact that it's just the right thing to right. do, yes. if you actually look at the data, and I don't have this stuff at the tips of my fingers, but there are a tremendous number of studies that show that the more diverse your team is, either at the executive level or within the company, the higher performing that team mm. is. Because you bring that diversity of perspectives, right. you bring different ideas, it's quite simply, you're just going to get to better outcomes and better decisions right. when you have a better mix of voices in the room. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to believe that I worked on building diverse teams even before that, but having seen that data and those studies, right. it's just, you know, I would go so far to say you are violating your fiduciary responsibility mm -hmm. to your shareholders if you do not wow. build diverse teams because the data is so unequivocal in the outperformance. I think also if you, you know, there's some fascinating studies on actually, so you can argue and say, okay, well, the way you measure companies is kind of squishy. There's actually some studies that show within sales quota achievement, which should be a very, very clear cut right. kind of area of example, that female sellers who meet or exceed quota are actually pay less than male sellers who, who do the same. Hmm. And data that shows that mixed gender sales teams overall perform much better than you know, than when you don't have a healthy ratio there. Right. And so sales is sales. It's the bottom line. Like you can't really kind of fudge those numbers. Right. I think that means a couple things, right? So one, obviously you're, I think you're, again, violating your fiduciary responsibility if you don't build diverse teams. But two, because we live in a world in which many companies are not properly compensating kind of members of the workforce that fall outside of the predominant or, or majority. majority or, yeah. or basically don't look like you're Right. Um, unfortunately, if we live in a world where those people are are systematically underpaid right. or undervalued, then if you are aware of the benefits of diversity and you say, I don't care your race, your religion, your ethnicity, your gender, et cetera. I don't care about your sexual preference. I don't care. about. I care about your ability to perform and I'm going to compensate you the way I would compensate anybody else who can perform at that level. Right. Well, then you're going after a group that probably is being paid below market mm. for their level of of impact yeah. and you're paying them market. right or I mean, hell I'll pay them above market if they deliver. Yeah. And that puts you at a, at a huge advantage, totally. right? It puts you at a huge advantage. And I think when you are able to kind of see past who people are on paper or again, the color of their skin or, or whatever it is and see like, what do they bring to the organization right. and, and are able to do that in a really kind of honest and unbiased way. Yeah. I think what you'll find is someone who looks like you or went to a similar school or grew up in a similar area or has a similar accent, chances are they are not the best person for the job. Right. But because of the way our brains work and because of the way, you know, somewhat we're hardwired, your bias is going to be yep. for that person who, you know, grew up where you grew up. Mm -hmm. You've got to fight that bias.
progress and you've yeah. got to put you know very explicit systems in but you also have to do some informal things and you got to challenge yourself yeah and say my do i feel this way about this candidate because they look like me or do mm -hmm. i feel this way because they're better yeah and again i found over and over and over again that if i fight my biases or encourage my team to fight their biases we end up hiring better candidates and yep. candidates that because you may take a person who is making 80% of market, well, we're not going to pay them 85%. Right. We're going to pay them 100% of market. Right. And when you do that, you also engender a level of loyalty mm. and commitment from those people yeah. that you know, I think is, is priceless. And they'll you know, run through walls for you and right. they'll deliver great things and they're capable of it anyway. Right. It's just a matter of you giving them the opportunity. Yeah, because it's not about the money. It's about what the money means. It, it, the money right. sends an enormous message about what you care about and about how you see the world and how you see that person. And yeah. And I'd say about that bias too. I think one thing that I've experienced and I've got a long way to go on this, but I've seen that bias fade. The more I do the right thing, the more I hire women and people of color and people of a different background, different way of thinking, different religion, whatever, the more that That's bias right. fades in my heart. Now I've got all these experiences with people that are mm -hmm. unlike me that I really That's care right. about and I can tell they really care about me. And so when you go into yeah. the next situation for the next hire, it's you feel less and less of that propensity to just sort of grab somebody that looks and sounds like you because you've had all these reps, right, of yes. kind of doing the right thing, so to speak. And how cool is it that doing the right thing actually leads to better business outcomes? Like, how cool is that? Right. That's amazing. Exactly. And again, it's just when you go down that path and you do the research and you read the studies, I mean, it is such a no-brainer. There is, yeah. there is, you know, just, I won't say, you know, money sitting in the corner. I mean, there's productivity, you know, for your organization and you're essentially, it's an arbitrage, right? It's almost yeah. an arbitrage versus your competitors. Yeah, if your is. competitors aren't, aren't thinking that way and you are, right? man, what a huge advantage that is. Totally. We are pretty much out of time, but you know, it's such a fun discussion and so interesting to hear that there are these tenants, there are these ways that you go about building an organization and organization's culture, even if you're in private equity or if you're in, if you're in info security or wherever you are, you know, that is, there are these universal tenants of how to do that the right way. So super interesting. Sounds like you guys have grown a lot recently. So I would recommend anyone listening, reach out to Mark, hit him up on LinkedIn, say hello, get some advice, apply for a job, whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, Mark. We're hiring. We got about we got about 40 open okay. recs. So yes, we'll, we'll take everyone. We can there you get. go. Hey, man. I'm sure some people have gotten jobs through this podcast. I often will say that. And I'm just like, I, I believe they're hiring. You should apply. So. I wish I had right. data on that, but, but Mark, anyway, thank you so much for spending half an hour plus with me and for sharing your knowledge and your experience and your perspective with us. Of course. Thank you so much, Jordan. I love, I love talking about this and I love, I love spreading the message. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think you said it well, when we talked earlier that, you know, this is about how do we get, you know, more and more companies to treat their employees with dignity, with respect, right. with love, really just make work more enjoyable Absolutely. for all of us. We, we spent a lot of our time yeah. doing it, so it'd be great. Exactly. Great yeah. Yeah. And for and for all that can't see the video, when Mark's when Mark said he enjoys talking about this, he he lit up when we got to this topic. So, so I can tell that's the case, and and I light up as well. And so thank you all for listening to Bragworthy Culture. We'll catch you next week, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.